What's up, everybody? Welcome to another World Cup special here of the Premier League podcast on FRS. My name is Sebastian Norton. With me is Polly Quistel. We'll have a mobile from Elliot towards the end of the episode. First and foremost, Polly, how are the sirens situation right now? Right now there's none, but I'm sure we'll get some soon. We'll get some soon, okay. Everything okay in New York City? Yeah, it's just hot. Yep. Yeah, same as here. Hot and muggy. We've had like 90s and thunderstorms, which is not the most pleasant combination. Yeah, it's been it's been pretty much like that here too. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, hopefully the weather will be nice in Russia as we prepare for the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Kicking things off on Friday, Uruguay and France. That's a 10 a.m. kickoff. And um, how do you feel about this game? France, I mean, they've, you know, obviously they've won their games, but haven't been looking super impressive. I think they're starting to play themselves into the tournament, though. They, this France team reminds me a lot of the French team from two years ago. They they struggled in the group stage. They got bailed out by um, by two tremendous Dimitri Dimitri Payet moments in the group stage, and they had to, they had to change up their formation. Um, and they've done the same thing. They uh, you could say they got bailed out, I guess, by by. VAR in the first game against Australia. They've, they've changed up their formation. They rotated their squad in their third game. And then they played Argentina, and at one point they got punched in the mouth, and they responded tremendously. I think it's it's helped that they have started to figure out, like, oh, this Mbappe guy is pretty good, and he's pretty fast, and if we give him the ball, like, magical things can happen. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I think that Mbappe sort of had his, you know, coming out party on the big stage in that 4-3 win over Argentina in the round of 16 for more of the casual fans. I mean, people that follow soccer and Champions League and everything, they know what Mbappe is capable of. But to show up like this as a teenager on the big stage, super impressive. And it it definitely helps that you... So I've always been a critic of it, and we've, we've talked about it all the time about whether Giroud should be playing or not and how it, in my opinion, it disrupts the the way that the team plays and it doesn't really fit Giroud. But they they have since, they didn't start the, the World Cup with Giroud out there, but they moved him in there for the second game and he's he's been in the lineup ever since. But they aren't doing the same thing that they, that they used to, that used to trip them up with Giroud. And it's really helping that they're, that Giroud is there, but they're pretty much playing Giroud as, as a guy who's there, but they're saying play within the team. It's, and it's really working. And you saw that one touch pass that he had for Mbappe's second goal, where the ball came to Giroud and one touch later, he plays that ball into Mbappe, who takes it one step and blasts it to the goal. Usually when Giroud's on the field, it kind of there, and we, we very much saw this when they played the USA a week before the World Cup, is that their strategy is, yeah, we have all these great players and these great creative players, and it's, you guys can do what you want, but the end result should be a cross towards Giroud. Mm-hmm. Um, they only crossed the ball in towards Giroud six times this entire game against Argentina. It's it's Giroud's on the field, and it's great as a last-ditch option of, you know, Mbappe gets trapped in the corner or Fakir gets trapped in the corner, and it's, what do I do with the ball here? And it's, I could boom across in towards Giroud, but... They're not looking to do that. They're looking to do other things. And 
yeah, if if you have no other option and that's what you have to do, that's fine. That's not a bad option, but it shouldn't be your first option. And they're not playing like it is their first option anymore. And that's why they're playing a lot better. I think Giroud has gotten better at get, going with the f- sort of, of the flow with the game too. Because like you said, a lot of times it would be, he would sort of slow it up too much. I think here, like you said, one touch play and getting on the head and trying to get it, you know, as basically a a header pass to one of the speedier guys in Mbappe or Griezmann. So and I think he, even though he didn't score against Argentina, I think he had a phenomenal game. He did. Now, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's him getting better at getting in the flow because these are things that he's always been able to do. I think it's, he's being, you know, just because Giroud's on the field doesn't mean that the team are playing. Deschamps has allowed them to play and he's allowed Giroud to play that way and showcases other skills as opposed to saying, well, Olivier's on the field, so let's boom crosses into him because he's a big target guy and if we put the ball on his forehead enough, he's going to score because we've seen France do that. We've seen them do it. We've seen them put it on his forehead 11 times in the game and he gets one goal. You know, his finishing just unfortunately is not clinical enough that that's actually a worthwhile a worthwhile strategy, but it was their their defense right now could be a little um there's maybe some question marks. Maybe. Some people said, you know, because they, they gave up more goals against Argentina than they did in the group stage. Okay, what happened on those? Angel Di Maria took an unbelievably perfect shot. Uh, Leo Messi took a shot that hit off of a player that deflected off of somebody and went into the, and went into the net. And that player was being played onside by a young, inexperienced right back, which was a mistake. But... In all honesty, like if Leo Messi's shot goes through, like Lloris probably has that. It was just a freak that it hit the guy and redirected. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, when Argentina throws everything forward, they get one consolation goal. Yeah, and I mean that pass from Messi to Aguero was perfection. That was such a nice setup from him. So I would be more shocked if Aguero doesn't score on that chance. Right, I'm not too worried about their defense if their if their attack is playing this way again, and they you know they start being like, let's feed this ball to Mbappe, then they're going to be very dangerous. Yeah, and Ur- this is the time that you want to get dangerous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Uruguay they defeated Portugal two to one, and they've been very stout in defense. Uh, you know, Diego Godin, we we've talked a lot about him on this show and just how good he is, and I think Uruguay. They can definitely give uh, fans, uh, France a uh, fight for their money here. Oh, they certainly can. This, I mean, this is probably, of all the games in the group stage, this is the one that can easily go either way. I mean, and I think they all can, uh, other than, yeah, no, I think all every game can go either way, but this is the one where no matter who wins, there's no upset. Mm-hmm. Is Uruguay and Uruguay are very good defensively. It's going to take a lot for France to uh to break them down i could see i could easily see this uh going to penalties i mean they do have the they do have the star power up front in cavani and and suarez but i think france are it will be able to um to keep them a big thing to to remember blaze matweedy is suspended uh and france have looked better since he got since he was brought in uh will they go with uh out there as that extra midfielder, it didn't quite work in the first game, but you know, maybe it works a bit better this time. Will they, will they go somewhere else? Uh, 
you know, maybe you go for, you know, more of like a 4-2-3-1 and you bring on another like attacking winger. Maybe, or, you know, you Griezmann plays underneath Giroud and Bappe's on one side and maybe you bring on someone like Osman Dembele or Nabil Fekir. They have a lot of options that they could go. It will be interesting because, again, I would maybe go the more attacking route because Uruguay are so good and organized defensively. Yeah, it would be nice to see Dembele get a start. I wouldn't mind that at all. Or Thomas, you could put in Thomas Lamar too. They, Like you said, they have a lot of good options. That's true. And Lamar has the ability to tuck back in centrally and actually play defense, Yeah, which it would be useful. Yeah. One thing that is unfortunate for this game is the referee, Nestor Pitana. He has been awful. I mean, the referees in every game have been awful. I think Bjorn Kopers, he's got the England-Sweden game. He's been good. But Nestor Pitana has been awful. He, he was the one who had the Sweden-Mexico game. I mean, look, Seb, no one's watching these games through the referee. Uh, yeah, but I feel like he has that, oh, let's let's put myself in you know, front and center. Yeah, he's I, not Klattenberg. He's not Mark Geiger. Which I hate. He's not. Yeah, Geiger was not. Ugh. Yep. No, no one's good. watching for the referee. Yeah. Okay, so if you have to do a prediction, though, how do you think this one is going to shake out? A draw. Draw on them penalties? Um... Yeah, I think so. I think this one goes to penalties. I think I think France is going to advance, but a, a draw here makes the most sense. Yeah. Then the 2 p.m. kickoff, that's Brazil against Belgium. Brazil got there by beating I Mexico. I just say this, though. France are heavily favored, which, I, which surprises me. Oh, well, getting, what's the line? They're getting even money. Uruguay is plus 350. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah. That's not a bad uh, bet on Uruguay, then. No, it's not. And uh, to qualify for the next round, Uruguay is plus uh, 180. Hmm. For those of you that want the insurance bet of being able to bet on them to win in PKs or yeah. something. Yep. Yeah, so Brazil, they uh, defeated Mexico 2 nothing. We haven't really talked about that game. Uh, how do you think the Brazilians looked against Mexico? Like... This new Brazilian team looks. They are not your older brother's Brazil. Um, they are a different Brazil. This is a Brazil that they're attacking. They've sort of figured it out uh, in terms of they've cleaned it up a bit. They don't play that well as a team, but it, it's kind of like Jose. That's exactly what this is. This is Jose Mourinho's like wet dream. It is a team that defends really, really well. They, they, because they do, um, and attacking-wise, they just rely on the individual talent of all their players. Now, do they, are they as disciplined with their position, with their positioning as Mourinho would like? No, they are far more, they are given far more creative freedom to roam around the field, most of the players, um, so that varies from a Mourinho team, but ultimately, you know, we haven't really seen Coutinho and Neymar link up as a team, we haven't exactly seen Gabriel Jesus get involved, there's a lot of people calling for Bobby Firmino to start. Um, those people happen to be Liverpool fans. Coincidence? I don't know. But it, it really, it's, it's just, it's almost as if it's like, well, we can't get the attack going, so let's just take another, let's buy another talented guy and stick him on the field, and maybe his individual talent will wear off. And that's what's working for Brazil. But it, it's working because they don't concede any goals. 
They've conceded one goal the whole tournament. They are almost impossible to score on. So Belgium, who does attack, 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 and who actually play pretty decently other than the fact that maybe there's a little bit going on between players and Eden Hazard, but they attack very well. Casemiro is suspended for this game. Fernandinho is going to step in, and he's a very adequate sub. But it, it presents an interesting situation, mm-hmm. to say the least. Yeah, no, that's very true. Casemiro, very useful player. Does a lot of the uh, sort of N'Golo Kante-ish in his playing style. Belgium, on the other hand, they... Um, They've really emerged as one of the teams to beat here. I Belgium. I mean, well, here's what you could say about Belgium. They are coming off the win that like propels you to go on and win the tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, like every team needs that win somewhere along the line in the tournament, and Belgium just got theirs yeah. from being down. Going down 2-0 to Japan in a game where they really looked lifeless, and Roberto Martinez, who for some reason decided to completely shave his head for this game um, and look like a, an, an, a villain in any movie that has a villain in it, um, he, his, his decision to change this game is Nasser Chadley and Marijuana Fellini, which we both know like never works out for you, and somehow it works out. They get a goal, then Fellaini, of all people, gets a goal. And at the very end, they get a break, which was eerily similar to Landon Donovan's goal against Algeria. Courtois caught it, rolled it out. They got numbers. They ran forward. Um, they The pass came in from the right. And, this, and you know, for the Donovan goal, uh, Dempsey put his foot on it, and it was, it was blocked, and Donovan followed up with the rebound. In this case, it was Lukaku making just an unbelievable dummy run away from the ball and letting that ball go through. Um, and Nasser Chadley runs on the end of it and scores on virtually the last kick of the game when 25 minutes earlier they were down 2-0. It was simply incredible. Yeah. No, I mean, they got. I feel like that Vertonghen goal that got everything started too was a bit lucky. I don't think oh, he that's, really yeah, intended Vertonghen to try to put that Vertonghen was not trying to score there. No. Vertonghen was just trying to loft that back in the middle. He mishits it. And it goes into the corner, and all of a sudden, it wakes Belgium up, and and off they go. Yeah. Yep. So the nice. issue is, is in this this is the kind of game now where you need your big players. Um, you know, you you can't you're not going to win this game because of defend. You might win it because the defender scores. You know, in a one nil like on a set piece or something. But that set piece, the delivery is going to come from Hazard or or De Bruyne, and it, it's going to need to be perfect. You're not winning this game. I I don't even think you're going to win this game one nil. Because I think you're going to need to score a few goals against Brazil. You need your big players to, to play. You're not getting your goals from Fellaini and Chadley here. And Lukaku, this seems like a Brazilian team that's going to be able to man-mark him out of the game. He still hasn't broken that duck away yet of when he plays good teams, he's able to be man-marked out of a game. He had almost no effect in that game against Japan. He was, He didn't. He didn't play another game. He has four goals in the first two games, which is exactly what we thought he was going to have. And he's been silent since then. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see here who comes up big. Uh, what do you say about Neymar's antics, though, in the game against Mexico? Oh, my God, he's a bitch. I mean, 
what he's doing is he's trying to get the ref to take another look at that and uh, on on the VAR and then and then give the uh, I forget who the Mexican player was give him a red card. And the Mexican player put himself in that position. Like we've we've said this a lot of times when it comes to penalties. Like don't give the referee an opportunity to pull out a red card. Yeah. Or an opportunity to give the penalty. And that's exactly what he did. And for that reason, maybe you give him a red card. And yeah, like as an athlete in in terms of uh, in terms of gamesmanship, you absolutely like if you think that like you know you try to influence the referee to get another guy sent off. Yes, because at the time wasn't it nil nil? No, it was one nil. But, yeah, I think it's. I think the player was Miguel Layun. Right. Uh, yeah, I th- you do what you what you have to do to try to influence the referee's decision. Having said that, I mean, God, the guy was squirming as like he's never like you know like he's been shot four times. Yeah. I mean, come on, dude. It, yeah, it, it, lo- it's also, it looked really bad. It's it's it. It's the same thing. Look, and I get it. Good players are gonna. Good players complain to the referee all the time. And, you know, a lot of other players, a lot of other players complain to the referee all the time and they'll, they'll talk about things. But, you know, that's like their game and they're trying to throw you off their game. People don't like it when the best players do it. There's a reason that everybody hates Sidney Crosby and it's not because he's really good at hockey. It's because he is really good at hockey and he spends so much of the game bitching to the referee. You know, that guy touched me. That guy breathed on me. He should, you know, Ryan Callahan does the same thing. He bitches to the referee about about everything. Ryan Callen is not as good as Sidney Crosby. For some people, it's just shut up and play. You're so much better than them. And you know what? Like if Casemiro's doing that, or you know Coutinho or Paulinho, if one of those guys are doing it, yeah, kudos. Like try to get that guy sent off. Neymar, get up. You're the best guy on the team. You're mad. Go out there and score a goal. Yep. Yeah, and if you are gonna flop around, do it a little bit better. Or just lay there. You or know, like, just lay there. Like, yep. Flop and then lay there and like get to treatment. Don't like continue to flop as if like I don't know if the ref saw me yet. Yeah, that was that was so bad. I mean, it's already became become memes and all kinds of stuff here. As it should. That's really really bad. Okay, uh, line on this one. The line up. Uh, Brazil is favored as as they should be. Uh, plus 115, Belgium plus 260. So it's a bit closer than the France-Uruguay game, which really shocks me because I would think, I think Belgium have a lot to overcome for Brazil. Brazil's been statistically the best team in the tournament. They just haven't looked like it because they really haven't gotten going yet offensively. But defensively, there's been nobody better. Then on Saturday, the early game, 10 a.m. Eastern kickoff, Sweden against England. England, they uh, beat Colombia on penalties and finally got their, that monkey off their back. I mean, how many years had it been? And they've never won a penalty shootout in the World Cup. They've lost six of seven shootouts in major tournaments. Yeah. So that is a big, big win for England there, defeating Colombia. That was, I mean, that was a scrappy game. It wasn't a scrappy game. It was Colombia. Colombia deserved to lose this game because, okay, you're missing James Rodriguez. And for that reason, they just went, we're just going to foul England everywhere yeah. and bitch and bitch and bitch. And, I mean, I didn't understand it. You know, 
you know, like first they they called the penalty against. First of all, there was the headbutt in the first half on Jordan Henderson. Yep. Which I'm not sure how that wasn't reviewed. It wasn't called. It wasn't initially called, and then all of a sudden it wasn't reviewed. But then he pulls out a yellow card. Well, what's the yellow card for? I honestly don't know. Exactly, because if you're saying, well, we're give, I'm giving you a yellow because you headbutted the guy, then it's a red. You can't do that. Headbutting is a straight red. So, and he didn't take an extra look at it. He just, I, I guess he heard from the assistant referee, he said something happened here. So you, if the assistant referee said something happened, then you're just giving him a yellow for something happened as opposed to like, well, maybe we should look at this. And if the re- assistant referee says, I think he headbutted him, then it's well maybe we should look to make sure because it's either a red or it's not. And if the ref- and if the assistant says he did headbutt him, then what are you pulling out a yellow card for? Like that should be a red. And England, I, you know, Gareth Southgate give him all the credit in the world for everything he's done with this team and and all the rhetoric of we're rewriting our stories and we're not going to be weighed down by past failure. And how they ha- he had them practicing. Pe- they would practice penalties at the end of every single training session when they were tired, when everything. And obviously, you can't replicate the pressure. But every training session, they practice penalties. And before this game, he had them practicing how they would celebrate when they won on penalties, because he wanted them to visualize them winning on penalties. I thought he got that. so kudos to him for that. But I thought. He could have done better managerial-wise. Um, I thought he made he waited way too late in the game to make any changes, though. And England looked they looked tired. Raheem Sterling has just has not played himself into this tournament yet. Yeah, no, I I didn't think they had a particularly good game, not at all. I think Colombia almost played the best football that end. You know, fifteen minutes. Uh, of ninety, the last fifteen right. of the ninety. That's, that's what boggles my mind. Is Colombia were that was their whole thing? And when they called the penalty, and everybody on Colombia runs up to the ref, and they're all in his face. Meanwhile, the two other players are going and scruffing up the penalty area, um, which I guess maybe would have an effect on on the penalty, but you know, obviously does not. As Harry Kane just put it right where he wanted to. Um. It was, you know, like that was the way they chose to play when they have good play. You know, you have other good players. This this team isn't Hamas Rodriguez and 10 people that they found on the street. They have other good players. And the last 10 minutes when they decided, hey, we actually, you know, we can't just complain for a goal. We actually need to score one. They dominated. Yeah. You would have wondered how they would have checked out if they actually played the whole game. Yeah. And I mean that. Yeah. And. As, as much as the narrative has been on England and everybody in England, I've, I've been on this team since before the tournament, probably since I got back from London in March. I've been on this team for a long time now. I've, you know, I've, I've been telling my friends, like, you know, if, if we were in England, we'd be selling T-shirts that just said, we are good. Like, believe it. Like, the English fans were so, they had no expectations on this team because they were not experienced. But, like, guess what? Experience doesn't mean anything. If you have more talent than experience, you're in a better shape. You're in a better position. Experience means jack. Talent is good. And this England team has talent. And the narrative has been about how everybody's now believing and how they're winning. But the truth is, uh, like, England have only scored two goals from open play this tournament. And one of them was that Jesse Lingard wonder strike. And the other one was a ball that accidentally hit Harry Kane in the ankle. Yeah. And 
yes, they are playing and, you know, they are, they're getting penalties, you know, in a lot of situations, which is good. You, you don't get penalties by accident. You create your own luck and they put themselves in situations a lot of times where they win penalties. And part of that has been because they get a lot of set pieces and they've been scoring on these set pieces that teams are now resorting to tackling Harry Kane on set pieces, which has resulted in penalties. But yeah, like it, it becomes a concern because what if you don't get those set pieces? You know, like eventually you have to start scoring. No, that's very true. Yeah, we'll see how they do. They take on a Sweden that knocked out Switzerland. Uh, 1-0, a goal by Emil Forsberg as his shot got deflected on a Swiss defender. And there's not really anything John Sommer can do on that shot. So Sweden moved on there. They've been very good defensively as well. Who's Sweden's coach again? Janne Andersson. At the end of the tournament, is he just going to send Zlatan a picture of him giving him the middle finger? Uh, maybe, or he'll eat a hot dog. I mean, just like uh, you. Oh, you wanted to come back when we made the World Cup, and like, guess what? We're better without you. And and I got criticized for that. And turns out I was right. I mean, I, I, I still I think they would be think. a better team with Slatan in it. I don't think that at all. I don't think that at all. You're taking an egotistical. An egotistical guy who would be like, look, I'm here to save you and carry you. You need to get me the ball so I can score goals. That would change how they how they played. Now, yes, against Denmark, if you had Zlatan in there at the end of some of those chances, you score a lot more goals. But would you be playing in, that, in the same way that creates those chances if you had Zlatan is a very good question to ask. And the answer is probably not. No, I mean that that's that would be the main thing. He would have to buy into the philosophy of the team and I'm not sure he would do that. Uh, right, and that's why you leave him home, because otherwise it becomes an issue. But because Zlatan is not one to keep his mouth shut. But seeing how many squandered chances Marcus Berg has had this this tournament. Yes, I get it. Zlatan finishes those chances, but do those chances come about if Zlatan's in the game and you're playing a different way? Yeah, we never know. We'll never know. But now here they are. This is the best Sweden has done since 1994 in a World Cup when they finished third in the tournament in the U.S. Right, and I mean, they're now, you know, England are obviously heavily favored to win this game, as they should be, because this England team is really good. I heard an interesting thing to, today, like, you know, if you lined up all all the teams in the in the quarterfinal and England had their choice of who they would play, they would probably want to play Sweden. Um, but if if you gave Sweden the same choice, like they might pick England, which makes it a very interesting. Yeah, I forget dynamic. what it is. You I know, think Eng- England has won one what one of the last ten meetings against Sweden. That's it. Well, they the last meeting they beat them. Yeah, I think that was the first in forever. So didn't they draw at Euro two thousand four though? That was the Wayne Rooney like. Uh, yeah, I mean they they've drawn a bunch of games. Yes. But, I mean, as a as a Sweden supporter, I'm not... Of course, I feel like England are heavily favored, but it's not like, oh, we don't have a chance. I right. feel like they have and, a very good with, chance. You know, like, who would you... Who would you... If you could pick another team to play, would you? I mean, I don't know it, if you would. it would be Russia, probably. I don't know if you want to play Russia. Oh, God, that game would be so boring. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I feel like that, that would be... 
something's going on with Russia to the point that they've made the quarterfinals when they shouldn't have gotten out of the group, when they got the easiest group in the world. They're not good, and something's going on with them. To the, so I don't know if I would want to play them. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, if I mean, I, if I were in Sweden against Russia instead of Croatia, I mean, that would be okay. But yeah, I wouldn't pick France. I wouldn't pick Belgium. I wouldn't pick Brazil. I wouldn't pick Uruguay. I think if they do make it out of this game against England, I think they'll have a very tough time in the semis if Croatia goes through. Um, so we'll see, but it's going to be one hell of a game. And I think this is... I uh, I believe, as the United States fans would say. Uh, so we'll see how things shake out there. The late kickoff on Saturday, that's Russia against Croatia. And like you said, Russia, they're not very good, but they're here. They knocked out Spain on penalties. Yeah, I mean, they have to be roided up, don't they? (laughs) Does that even help? Yes, because it's not like they played an unbelievable... It's it's not like they played an unbelievable game against Spain. They, They just let Spain... They didn't get tired against Spain. And... That's that's the one thing is a lot of people what from what I've been seeing at, at you know foreign players have just said um, they've said playing Spain is it's just so exhausting because they just keep passing the ball around them and you're chasing them down the whole game and and you just you get so tired and Russia just didn't get tired now one explanation could be that they're probably on steroids the other explanation for that is well they let them. They, Russia just sat there and let Spain pass it because Spain were just passing it around. They weren't actually like attacking with these passes. They weren't trying to make that killer through ball. They weren't trying to break them down. They were just recycling it around. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I missed most of this game. I saw extra time. I saw the penalties. But luckily, I missed the rest of it because from what I heard, it was one of the most boring games to ever happen to the sport. Yeah, it was not a game where I would be like, uh, oh, I, I'm... I'm so bummed I missed the first 90 minutes. No, not at all. Uh, and it's just weird. It's weird because they got that goal on a, on a, um, on an own goal. They got their goal on an own goal. Oh no, they got Russia. Spain got their goal on an own goal. Yes. Russia got their goal from a PK given out by PK, and it was like, why are you putting yourself in that situation? Because Russia's probably not going to be able to score. Spain tried to win this game without shooting, and they almost got away with it if it weren't for PK. No, that's true. Yeah, Croatia, they also went through on penalties. Because of that, yes. Spain deserved to go out. And, and it's it goes to show, this is what goes to show you, is you don't need experience in the World Cup. And everybody keeps making that big deal. And experience eventually, experience is another word for old. And if you look at, Spain were old. And they didn't get their young, and they were old four years ago too, and that's why they didn't make it out of the group. Germany were old as well. And it, it becomes an issue, and this is one of the reasons, why, and this was one of the things that Jurgen Klinsmann got right when he took over Germany, is he dropped some longtime players. And it was one of the reasons he was hired to coach the U.S., was to drop some of the longtime players. Because if you don't drop the longtime players, you'll get burned, which was, is exactly what happened to the U.S. Was Klinsmann the one who dropped Bullock? Yes. Yeah. And he dropped um, Oliver Kahn. It's, well, he must have been like forty by that time, right? Right, but he, you know, he dropped him. The guy still wanted to play, like, yeah. and and it 
it's something that Mourinho actually, you know, I'm, I don't like giving him credit for anything, but he handled the Wayne Rooney thing very well. Like, you know, he started them at the beginning of the season. He slowly started, like, diminishing his minutes. He slowly started dropping him. He was sure to, you know, he played him in, in cup matches and everything. But eventually it was like, yeah, like when, when United lined up this season without Wayne Rooney, you didn't really realize that Wayne Rooney wasn't there because it wasn't a story because he hadn't really been there for a year already yeah. because he slowly phased him out. And in international soccer, you don't really get that opportunity. But because here's, you know, you win the World Cup and especially in Europe, you win the World Cup and immediately, and in South America too, South America the following year, you're playing in a Copa America. In Europe, immediately you start qualifying for the Euros. And that comes two years later. So it's not that long. And then as soon as that ends, you're qualifying for the World Cup again. Mm-hmm. The issue is, is qualifying for the World Cup ends in October or November. The World Cup is in June. That's almost an entire season for players to emerge and, you know, like Ben Pavard for France. That's So, yeah, he, he's very inexperienced at the international level, but he deserves to be starting for France. It's He's emerged over the last eight months. And when you... A lot of times it's you win the World Cup, you like owe something to those players. You know, you owe it to Sammy Kadira and to Tony Kroos and Mesut Ozil. You owe, it's like, yeah, you've earned your spot in this team. And then there becomes that complacency, which is exactly what the U.S. had. But what also happens is you leave them out there and, and they become old. They lose a step. And Germany got burned this tournament because they were incredibly slow. Yeah. And they ran out of ideas because they didn't have any fresh freshness in the team. The U.S. didn't qualify because they were incredibly slow. They couldn't win a goddamn away game against CONCACAF. How, how many – we saw it in every pre-World Cup friendly. We saw it in every game Costa Rica played in the World Cup. If you attack them with pace, they can't handle it. The U.S. had Josie out the door and Michael Bradley out there. Yeah. And in the away game at Costa Rica, their midfield too was, Josie, was Michael Bradley and Jermaine Jones. Like that's never going to work. And they, you get, you look at France, France is young. You know, they, Kareem Benzema can still play. He's been out of the France picture for two years because he's old. This, yes, they're young and they're inexperienced. But you're coming off the end of this long season. Old, older players can't recover as well. And where does, you know, there are certain situations where you, you want experience. You know, um, what's his face? Saudi Arabia came into that first game against Russia, and they, they haven't played in a World Cup in how long? Mm-hmm. And they looked shell-shocked, and Russia ran over them. They just, it was, the moment was too big because they were inexperienced. But once you step on the field, like once Deli Ali and Marcus Rashford step on the field in your first group game, that, they're experienced now. They know what it's like to be in a World Cup. So by game two, there's no excuse for them to be shell-shocked. And the other point point where experience comes in into play is when you go down one nil or when you're not scoring against the team that you know you should beat in a game that you pretty much have to win to advance not necessarily in the knockout rounds but in the group stage you know if we don't win this game it's going to be that that's going to make things really difficult like for example England's game against Tunisia when you don't have experience you tend to start getting away from you know what your game plan was and saying I'm going to do this myself or I'm going to try to make something happen myself. England is not an experienced team. They left all their experienced players at home with the exception of Gary Cahill who barely has seen the field. And against Tunisia they stayed with the game plan. 
So, and they stayed with it, and they were rewarded with the win. So clearly, you don't need experience to stay with your game plan. You just you need the you need the the confidence to do so. And if your younger players who are inexperienced have the confidence to do that, then you don't need the older, slower players, which can really cost you. And it, it and like we've seen, it's costed Argentina, it's costed Spain, it's cost Germany. There's a reason that those that those teams are all out of the tournament now. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, Croatia and sort of their golden generation here. They went through on penalties against Denmark. I'll say it again. I feel very bad for Kasper Schmeichel. I think he had. Uh, he deserves to win that game. Such a good game. Such a good game, really. And I mean, if if God forbid, David de Gea would leave Manchester United, I wouldn't mind seeing Schmeichel. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mind it. Uh, I don't think Dumb Day is leaving. No, First of all, his I, stock I, is at its absolute lowest. Right yeah, <laughs> that that's true. But I, yeah. Yeah, he didn't have a good showing. That's for sure. But Croatia against Russia. I do think Croatia has what it takes to beat Russia, though. I really do. They should. Um, they should beat Russia. They've been the problem with Croatia is they've been underwhelming. Like they should have gotten past Denmark easier. They are that good, and the problem is they, they it just they should be running everything through Modric and Rakitic, and it just seems like they're not. And then I mean, the that, ball fall. Yeah, sorry. Then the ball falls to Mario Mandzukic, and like that's just not the player you want him to. Um, who I mean, he should be a little bit more precise than he has been. They should be a lot better, and this is what scares me because they had the talent to go out there and win the Euros two years ago, and they couldn't get it done, and they went to penalties, and that's you know it's like a it's a coin flip, and I could easily see Russia's going to sit back again just like they did against Spain, and is Croatia good enough to break that down? It could be another coin flip. Yeah, I do, you know, agree with you that Croatia were good enough two years ago to win the Euros. And it was sort of the same thing there. They were convincing in the group stage. And then when it was time for the knockout round, it was, you know, as we say, you come down as a pancake. So we'll see if they can get it done here against Russia. I do think that Mansukic can give them a lot of trouble, though. He can, but, you know, he needs to... He's also one of those guys who needs to be better in, at his finish. We were talking about Giroud earlier. Same goes for Mansukic. Right. Got to be more clinical with your finishes. There we go. Some music. Yeah. So. Yeah. He needs to. Um, he needs to take advantage of the chances that he gets. Yeah. Is really what it comes down to. Yeah. I mean, I, I think all these games can have the potential to be very, very good. I feel like overall, the tournament as a whole, been very good. It's been a fantastic tournament. The, the amount of drama that's been in here, um, it's, been, it's been top-notch. Uh, I mean, just that, just the Belgium-Japan game was unbelievable. Yeah. The whole tournament has been fantastic. Yeah. And even after that loss, the Japanese fans cleaned up the stands. So the Japanese players, then they clean up their whole locker room and everything. I mean, yeah, that's that's called losing with class. Seriously. I mean, that is just remarkable. And so kudos to Japan. 
kudos, yes. kudos to Japan. And a lot of people, I saw actually saw the clip from when they got back, and so many fans had gathered at the airport and everything. So nice to see them standing behind their players. Okay, we're gonna wrap things up uh, with. Uh, of course, we got to do predictions for the other games. We only did the France Uruguay game. So let's start off with Brazil Belgium. I'm gonna say Belgium. I'm gonna I'm gonna be safe and I'm gonna say Brazil. Okay, then Sweden England. I'm saying Sweden on PKs. I'm I'm saying England, like one nil. And then on a set on a set piece. Ah, uh, Sweden. I mean Sweden. Sweden's finishing has been so poor. Oh yeah, but they've they're very good at defending set pieces. Yeah, but England are very good at taking them. Ah. Yeah, we'll see. It's gonna be fun. And then, this may not even be like a oh defend the set piece situation. This might be um, just a blaster of a free yeah, kick. like an Ashley yeah. Young like just curl. I mean Ashley Young or Karen Trippier because apparently only the right back and the left back take pe- take free kicks for England. <laughs> but they've both come very close at certain times. Yep. So yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I would think it, maybe it comes on just like a, a shot from twenty five yards out. Okay, like that. And then I'm going to go Croatia over Russia. I'm going to go with that game goes to penalties too. Okay. Um, I can I can favor was really good in the penalty shootout for Russia. He was. So was Subasic. So. Yeah, dude, that Croatia Denmark match had so many not missed penalties, saved penalties. Yes. I've never seen so many saved penalties. Mm-hmm. No, I, I feel like overall we've had a couple of really good uh, goalkeeper performances in the tournament as well. That should earn at least a couple of them a move somewhere higher up. Yeah. A lot of uh, talk about Ochoa from Mexico. So we'll see. Okay, we're going to round things off with a mobile take from Elliot. He's going to talk about the Brazil-Belgium game and some of the comments that Vincent Company said before the game. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Noren, Polly's Peak Westell, and Elliot is Keats Was Better. And we'll talk to you again after the quarterfinals. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. This is Elliot. Um, somewhere on the road between Missoula, Montana and Seattle, Washington, so not able to hop on the call. But I was going to give you a little bit of my mind on what I think is the premier matchup of the quarterfinals. The, you know, France-Uruguay is exciting. Interested in Russia-Croatia, too. Yeah, nothing to take away from your Swedes, Seb. But Brazil-Belgium, the uh, game on Friday is, I think, the premier matchup for me anyway. Uh, and I was interested by something that Vincent Company said yesterday um, that he said, quote, Brazil are superior to us individually, and they can also count on great collective organization. I think we should not underestimate the stress and nerves such a match could trigger. It could make the difference on Friday, close quote. And this was interesting to me at first because Brazil have phenomenal quality. Like, you know, I don't doubt that for a minute. Anybody who does is a fool. You know, we were speaking about this in the previews that they're a team good enough that Neymar could go off injured and they could still win the World Cup without him. Nonetheless, I think Belgium stack up pretty well in this game, one-on-one. I mean, I think that certainly Thibaut Courtois between the sticks is great. I think that despite uh, Vertonghen's mistake to concede the first goal against Japan, he overall has had a good tournament, uh, and he certainly redeemed himself with that loping header later on in the game. Um, 
and I was also surprised by some comments that Didier Drogba was speaking in relationship to Lukaku, saying, yeah, you know, I know he's had kind of a rough time of late. And like, I, I think he's had an amazing tournament. You know, Pauly, I, I think that I'm probably going to win that Harry Kane-Lukaku golden boot race. But then again, I'm not that sure because England can't score from open play. And even though they went down 2-0, their amazing comeback showed precisely that medal that company is talking about. And so it was interesting to me because those comments that he made seemed on the one hand to kind of be humble and speak about how amazing the Brazil side are, and that is true. Yet at the same time, yeah, I wonder if that idea of the stress and the nerves the match could trigger and how that could make the difference. You know, we all remember a certain match in Brazil four years ago in which the stress and the nerves saw Brazil concede seven. Now, I don't think that that's going to happen, but despite the arguable superior quality of Brazil and despite Belgium's major hiccup, nearly full derailment against Japan, I expect Belgium to move on into the semifinals. All right, that's all I've got for you guys today. We'll be back with you when we have the final four decided.